On this week's episode, we welcome Jeff Brown and Philip Smith. It seems as though somebody's being massacred and eliminated because of madness, mental illness, and when it happens, they want to just focus on guns, not someone's behavior and their choice. And then we forget that the Second Amendment guarantees our right to bear those arms. And guess what? For a very good reason. First and foremost, guns are really a crucial means of self-defense. If law-abiding citizens are not allowed to own firearms, they become easy targets for criminals who have no regards for the law. Just remember what happened recently in Nashville and other places where law enforcement who were able to use their firearms to eliminate the threat. And you know what? This is especially true for vulnerable populations such as women, the elderly. (sighs) Let me tell you this. If you don't believe this, that guns can level the playing field and provide a sense of security for those who might otherwise be defenseless, then you really need to examine yourself and use common sense. And you'll come to the conclusion that sometimes guns can become man's best friend. And secondly, guns are an essential tool for hunting and sport. I know all about it. It's how I grew up. Hunting is not only a popular pastime, but it is also a way for so many people to provide food for their families. Remember, farming is not dead. Agriculture is still thriving around America. And the sport of shooting can also be incredibly rewarding and challenging. Shooting competitions require skill guys, patience, discipline, and is a great way to promote responsible gun ownership and safety. Finally, not last but not least, guns serve as a check against big government tyranny. You don't want to hear that, do you? didn't come from me. It came from our founding fathers. Why? Because they understood that a government with too much power can become tyrannical and oppressive. So the right to bear arms serves as a safeguard against what could be a possibility. Firearms are an essential part of American culture and our tapestry and serve as a multitude of purposes, from self-defense, hunting, sport, and especially safeguarding against government tyranny. Welcome to this edition of the Armstrong Williams Show. So Jeffrey, you've built an incredible firearm facility in Loudoun County, Virginia. You have an extensive background in the military, government, and private business. Why was this gun range so important? Well, uh, for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, but the real reason, and I think this is really important uh, when you come out to our facility, um, this was my youngest son Jason's uh, dream. And so part of this was a father really wanting to support his son in doing the things that he had worked on for a better part of 12 years, uh, developing the concept Um, He was an avid shooter, 
as you know, we're not just a shooting range, we're also a fitness facility. Uh, but Jason uh, really fell in love with the sport of shooting, then becoming proficient in shooting, and then sharing that passion for shooting with others, and particularly new shooters. Um, so we built the facility uh, to meet Jason's dream, but it really addresses many of the things in your opening remarks. But what is it like having this range and almost every day, every week, these mass killings? What kind of conversations go on? What, what do women and senior citizens say when they show up? Are, are, they, are they apprehensive? Are they concerned that I'm using a firearm? Or do they realize this is, a, this is something to protect and safeguard against me for what I see every day, which could possibly become me. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point, and uh, I'd, uh, I'd say the best way to view, view that and see how those folks respond is come sit in our cafe on a Saturday morning and watch who walks through the doors, uh, watch who comes to shoot, um, watch how responsibly they engage with the understanding of what comes with gun ownership. Uh, if you decide to own a firearm uh, for self-protection, for any of the reasons that you mentioned up front, it requires you to, to train, to understand the responsibility you have that you're carrying around a loaded firearm uh, for your own self-defense. So we see young people, middle-aged people, older people, every ethnic background you can imagine come in every week to be responsible owners and learn how to perfect the craft and the discipline that comes with owning a firearm and shooting a firearm. You know, one of the connections that very few people make is that when there's war, there's conflict, there's a battlefield. Yeah. Soldiers have weapons, massive weapons. When the FBI goes to raid or the CIA, our intelligence, they go with firearms. They don't go unarmed because it is the only thing that they have to safeguard and protect them against criminals now who have no conscience, no soul. They will shoot you if you blink at them. So to think that the public should not also have that same access, and then the president in his motorcade with his Secret Service and protection and members of Congress and their security arsenal and diplomats with their security arsenal, why wouldn't you think that Americans who can't afford that kind of security apparatus will not want to protect themselves. They do. Um, that, uh, that criminal um, element has been with us, as you know, for a very, very long time. And Americans have always owned firearms for self-protection. Um, they have in the past. They do today. Um, and to sort of comment on uh, the transition from military to civilian life, um, the firearms we operate today really grew out of the technology uh, through the military. Um, and, you know, we always hear the discussion about assault rifles. Um, no different than when we first had our first bolt action change to uh, clips or magazines and then to um, multiple uh, magazines and, and large magazines. This grew out, and it's a natural growth to the private sector. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I think this is our tradition as a country. It's our right as Americans uh, to bear arms and to protect ourselves. Um, 
and I don't see that changing. You know, I've been out to your facility. It is interesting the strategy you have behind sort of coupling the fitness offering with the gun range. Right. Explain that. Yeah, there, there's a couple of things that bring it together. Uh, first of all, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, that there's discipline associated with becoming proficient with a firearm. Um, and discipline's a really important component of the folks who come and shoot all the time. Um, to be a fitness enthusiast takes the same discipline. So we brought things together that really draw in folks who are willing to put in the work, to put in the hard energy every day to stay in shape, to maybe master jujitsu, to be pro proficient with a nine millimeter uh, handgun or a rifle. Um, that discipline and that commitment to work at something to get good at it is one of the connecting tissues. Um, the other thing that's absolutely true to these two things is their communities. Um, we rarely see someone come in by themselves to shoot. They come in with friends. Uh, the group fitness classes upstairs are about creating communities. And what we've done at XCAL is we've tried to bring these communities together. Um, and we're coming up on our first year anniversary. We're principally a membership club and 41% of our memberships are XCAL shooting sports and fitness family memberships. So these are families who are coming in and partaking both of the gun range, of our retail, of our cafe, and our fitness facility. What is the larger goal uh, that you anticipate that XCAL, this facility, can have on the gun culture? Yeah, I think uh, uh, this question's been asked to me many, many times. Um, you know, we have strong lobbyists out there fighting for our rights. We have congressional support um, throughout the country for our rights. I'm building new shooters every day. Uh, I bring new people in every day, uh, women, men who have never shot before. And uh, I can show you videos when they squeeze that trigger for the very first time, the big smile that lights up on their face. And when we create a new shooter, we create people who care about the laws that are being passed and their rights to own those arms. So we're going to build a larger grassroots contingency of, of American firearms enthusiasts. Here's what, here's where I challenge you. It's not really a challenge on what you're doing because it's important. You know, it seems as though these young people, and I actually think Gen Z and Gen X uh, is contributing to the destruction of our culture, fentanyl, the homicides, recklessly just killing, um, robbing their parents' retirement. They don't want to work, don't want a full-time job. I know I'm going to get blasted for this, but it's just the way I feel. But when you see these young people under 30 going in and just massacring people, and they, if you read their manifesto, they train online. While you're training them responsibly at KCAL, they're being trained irresponsibly, and they're training. They're hitting their targets. What do, what do you say to these families? What do you say to the young person watching this show who's sitting thinking, I want to be the next hero because I know if I go and shoot up people, the media is going to cover it and it's going to be my legacy. Remember this last guy, after he killed, he sat in the lobby and waited on law enforcement to engage them. Yeah. That is frightening. Yeah, Armstrong, I, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I think we focus way too much on them. Okay. Um, 
because I see the counter to them every every day. Mm -hmm. uh, they're same generation. Um, last night we had our youth rifle league. So I see young 14-year-old uh, boys and girls in with their parents learning how to be respectful with a firearm, to understand what goes along with that. Um, I see young people in every day with their families, right? This is the family connection. We're a family business. Uh, everybody in the business knows the Browns. We see families in every day doing things the right way. They don't get any attention. So you think the media gives these isolated assassins too much attention? Uh, I certainly, I, I don't like to say isolated because these are horrific things that mm -hmm. are happening. Mm -hmm. But they get all the press. Um, the responsible folks who want to do things the right way, that go through the process of acquiring a handgun or a firearm legally, who then spend hours training to become proficient with it and know how to handle it responsibly. Um, we don't see the level of coverage of that that we do on the tragedies, which are in fact tragedies, the loss of life, um, get in the media. How can people find out more about KCAL? Come at XCAL. XCAL. Come out and see us. Uh, follow us online. We're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, but the best way is to come visit us uh, in Northern Virginia. Phil, thank you so much for being a part of the broadcast today. Please explain to our audience what is NAGA. NACA is the National African American Gun Association. We are a 51,000 member organization. We have over 130 chapters and we were founded in uh, 2015. So your mission and why does America need an organization like this? Sure. For our, our community, typically, historically, has not had access to firearms, just to be quite transparent. And in forming NAGA, it was a, a bridge, so to speak, to our community to kind of put an olive branch out to reach out to those folks that had had interests or kind of con slight curiosity, but not a, a method where they feel comfortable to take that first step to learn about firearms. And NAGA does that. It allows our folks in our community to be very relaxed, to come in and learn about a firearm, how to shoot a gun, how to hold a gun, which caliber is best for them, muscle memory, and really have a very comfortable first step toward firearms. And I think that's, a, that's the key to our success. We make folks very, very comfortable. You know, um, Quite intriguing. Um, is there a difference for minorities, American black communities um, embracing gun ownership than the rest of America? In theory, it, it shouldn't be. There should not be a difference. You make a very good point. It should be something that we gravitate to, be able to embrace because it's part of our founding fathers. Uh, directions and, and uh, foundation, but the reality is that there is a difference sometimes when an African-American male or female buys a gun, how that interaction takes place or plays out in, in society. Um, and we talk about those things at NAG. We talk about very, very realistic scenarios of having a firearm and how to interact with, uh, with you know, the general society, particularly in law enforcement. Let me, let, me, let me take it deeper where I'm going. When you think about, let's say, particularly American blacks owning firearms is always committing a homicide, a crime, and a legal firearm. But what the media does not cover are the number of Americans who happen to be black who own firearms responsibly. They always try to make firearms and gun ownership to be something associated with the National Rifle Association, the MAGA movement, the Proud Boys, and that is a false narrative.
That's, you are exactly right. I mean, I, I'm here to tell you that there are millions, not thousands, millions of folks, black, white, and otherwise, that are that have guns now, that utilize firearms in a very positive, law-abiding way every day. Um, and that narrative that you've painted has been pushed out there, but it's not true, not true at all. Um, I represent millions of, of African-Americans in this country um, that like to have firearms for various reasons, hunting, self-protection, competitive shooting, um, collective, uh, being a collector. There's a lot of uh, options and motivations that have our folks going toward guns now. And I think it's a very positive, healthy um, movement that we're having right now. Do you think, and, and push back on me on this, mm -hmm. do you think in order to have launched that, you've sort of had to segregate yourselves, become a black organization where if you, if NAGA, if I'm hearing you, only mm -hmm. black people can apply? No, first let me address that last point. Anybody can apply. We have over well over 2,000 white members that are very, very active, that have leadership roles, that uh, participate in meetings. So it's, it's for everybody. And that's the secret in our sauce. Everybody is welcome, no matter if you're Republican, Democrat, rich, poor, dumb, smart, or even grumpy. Uh, you're welcome to join our organization. We're going to give you a high five. We're going to give you a big hug. And we're going to say welcome, brother, welcome, sister. And you're going to learn about firearms, and you're going to be relaxed. Um, and that's one of the things that folks say a lot about our organization. When you come into NAGA, you can be yourself. And that is and that is a very, very critical piece that is not talked about enough. When you think about the overwhelming gun violence in the black community mm -hmm. and the bridge that you're building for responsible and accountable gun ownership, how can that trickle down to impact the family unit? Talking, like we're doing right now. And that's what I think a law starting in this country, sitting down at the family table, at the dinner table with the families and having those conversations, mom and dad, um, talking to their children about firearms, the reality of what's out there. I think too often we kind of brush over um, the value of, of home. Home is where it starts. Um, when you have someone that has their parents there talking to them or a parent, uh, regardless of the structure, letting them know about firearms in a very positive way, that alleviates a lot of the issues that come down the pipeline um, when you don't have those conversations. And I think that's very, very important uh, to have that 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 vacuum of, of focus and, and information giving from given from a parent to uh, to a child. And, and what do you say to those communities and families who've lost their loved ones, and in Nashville, and Florida, and California, and Las Vegas, Nevada? to people who, in such a irresponsible and angry and menacing ways, just go out and take people's lives in such massive numbers for, for no reason at all, no different than the goodman that went to the bank and the mother's on the phone screaming that her, his best friend just told the mom that he had a gun, got it from his girlfriend, and he's on his way to the bank because he's about to be fired and he's about to kill his colleagues, how do you protect yourself? What do you say for people who become more fearful of firearms? And the last thing they would want to do is join any firearm organization. First of all, we have to, and I, I don't want to say this because you've heard it a million times, is that I feel their pain. I understand. First of all, I'm a parent. I've got two children. I've got a little girl and I've got a little boy. I don't want my children hurt just like any other parent. So my heart goes out to them. But beyond saying the typical things of, you know, my heart goes out to them, what are we going to do? 
well, let's have a real conversation about these things that are taking place. I'm of the mindset that we need to start looking at solutions to stop these um, shootings. I've, in, in our organization, we have a term called hardening the target or a hard, a hard target versus a soft target. A soft target is, in a, is a school, an institution, a mosque, a, a, a synagogue, a company that does not have any type of protection. We don't believe in that. We believe in making sure that everything is somewhat uh, has a hard target perspective. In other words, you have a security guard. You have layers of security for those folks in that building, be it children or not. To me, those are the first steps that take place that are going to need to be take place across this country to make the country safer. Unfortunately, we have a lot of folks out there that are of evil intent in this country, and we have to recognize that. We can't put our head in the sand and say, oh, it doesn't exist. This is the 1950s. No, folks out there do exist, and we have to address them being out there by protecting the folks that we love the, the most, and that's our children. And I also want to say this. July 20th, I spoke at the, the Senate regarding gun violence. And certainly there were a lot of folks there that lost a lot of loved ones. And we have to recognize that pain, but there's also pain in understanding that there's a manipulation in, in the media when they take gun rights and gun violence and they try to merge the two because they're two entirely different conversations. My gun rights should not be infringed upon just because somebody is, e is doing evil things with a gun, such as robbing folks, such as shooting folks. That's a different conversation. I believe in addressing it, but let's be clear, those are two entirely different subject matters that often get merged with the media. Then why should law enforcement, prosecutors, the court system um, do to reduce this gun violence? I think that it has to go to the folks that are committing those violent crimes. And I'm not saying just go after this paint a wide uh, sweeping brush and start arresting folks just, you know, um, just, just for the sake of, of arresting them. We need to find out who those folks are that are doing those crimes and what's the reason. I believe that oftentimes, and I'll take myself as an example, I'm a kid from a poor neighborhood in, in Vallejo, California, Southside. One of the reasons why kids commit, or young folks commit crimes or anybody is because lack of opportunity. I had an opportunity, I had folks that were able to grab me and direct me in the right way. If you don't provide any vehicles for those kids, because they're coming out of these high schools without any skill set, they're coming out of these high schools with two and three felonies by the time they're 22 and 23, and most importantly, they're unable to get injected into the mainframe of, of American society, the economic engine. So they're on the outskirts. So you know what you do when you have three or four kids at home and you're 26, 27, and you can't find a job? You can do what anybody or any parent would do. You're going to do whatever it takes to put food on that table. You're going to rob, you're going to steal, and unfortunately, at times you will shoot someone to get food to your kids. I say address the economic issues that are forcing these children, these young folks, these people to commit those crimes. That takes big, big cojones. That takes a big initiative to address the, um, the incarceration rates within our community. That takes a, a lot of discussion on, okay, why are these folks being repeated in the system? We have to stop the, the cycle and give them a chance. A felony should not be a life sentence if it's a nonviolent crime. If you're writing checks and you have committed a felonious crime, then give that person an out after four or five years, just like your credit report. After seven years, it drops off. Let it drop off on their report so they can have an opportunity. And I want to stress opportunity to get a job. You know, um, how does one join NAGA? It's interesting. It's eerily similar to MAGA. 
<laughs> and I'm sure you've heard that, right? Oh, I've, I've heard everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've heard everything. But how, do, how does one join NAGA? Sure. You go to our website, which is www.naaga.co. Um, it's very nicely put together website. We call it the best in uh, practice uh, website. Go there. You'll see all the um, bells and whistles. Click on membership. Easy to join. You have three options, uh, single, um, couple, or family, and uh, easy to join. Um, and I do want to stress we have a very good event going on right now coming up in July 28th, 29th, and 30th. That is our national convention. It will be the first time, and I want to stress this, Mr. Armstrong, that an African-American firearms organization is having a national convention in the history of the United States. So it's going to be well attended. All the media is going to be there, CNN, Fox, everybody, MSNBC. Hopefully, hopefully uh, you'll be coming as well. We'll have an open invite for you. Um, and it'll be history in the making. And we expect anywhere from five to 10,000 folks showing up and having a good time and celebrating um, our existence since uh, 2015. Listening to this week's episode.